0: welcome to the r s p cast film and theory Adam Harstead Matt Waldman joining you again this week and with our pre holiday or our holiday season podcast in late December, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of a continuation of a subject that Brandon Angelo and I touched upon last night in our going deep podcast, which is the the thought of maybe smaller running backs um becoming even more of a thing than maybe they already are um, because of their movement skills. We're gonna talk about their movement skills and whether or not guys like, you know, we, we've looked at folks like Cook and McCaffrey and Eckler and Gibbs, and you know, we can look at guys like that size, but Cook's a little bit on that lower end of that size, that, that weight tier. So it makes you wonder, could a Keyshawn Vaughn possibly be a thing um we're going to talk a little bit about that and then maybe and then also about nil and is it going to force the nfl perhaps to focus more on player development because it's not the another pro league necessarily that's going to cause the nfl to have competition for players but maybe it's the college game that in some way indirectly does that. So those are things that we're gonna talk about this week. So Adam, you know, getting started, you know, last night, the, Brandon brought up a great point about how, when you watch Lamar Jackson, James Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eggler, Jameer Gibbs, one of the things that they do extraordinarily well on film is change direction in tight space. Um, in ways that bigger backs just can't do like so from the film perspective when you watch these guys you can see them navigate through really tight creases at a high rate of speed and make dramatic changes of direction that most big backs can't do like we if you if you think of like 15 years ago the quintessential big back who could make really strong changes of direction? It was Adrian Peterson. But Adrian Peterson, when he would, when he would change direction, was mostly leaning on jump cuts, where they were these violent, like planting of his feet into the ground, cracking the crust of the earth, and then basically making a, a dramatic lateral cut. But it takes a lot of space to do that because when he makes a jump cut, he often would jump three yards forward two to three yards forward towards the line and then make the cut um and it seemed like there were backs maybe between you know in the past five to seven years who could do that like Kenyon drake but didn't have as much success and some of that was due to maybe his decision making and understanding of how to use space but also the fact that it was just inefficient it's just an inefficient move you don't see those kinds of jump cuts that often anymore. Saquon Barkley does it, but he's still, you know, while he's still a valuable fantasy commodity and NFL commodity, he's not the most efficient runner on a play-to-play basis when it comes to certain changes of directions like that. Um, So I just wonder, you know, as we were talking about these players who really understand, you know, the pace of of defenders around them who come unblocked, and the ability to control their pacing and the ability to make these tight changes of direction, a lot of them are smaller players who if you made them 205, 210, 215 pounds, they probably wouldn't be able to sustain that kind of movement. So I'm just wondering if you would think that if if you've either seen anything from a you know a modeling standpoint or you know have any thoughts to the idea of that maybe even a player like Tariq Cohen was ahead of his time um maybe a little bit or Jameer um or you know who's I like, mentioned Keyshawn, um not Keyshawn Vaughn the De- Deuce Vaughn out uh, of the Cowboys might have a legitimate chance to be a worthwhile player when Tony Pollard leaves next year
1: yeah I think it's funny you know, everything's so cyclical. Terry Cohen, was he ahead of his time or was he behind his time? Because you look right. at, like, Tony Dorsett, 190 pounds. Warwick Dunn uh, is smaller than Tyreek Hill, yeah. and he had 15,000 career scrimmage yards as a running back.
0: Walter Payton. Uh,
1: <laughs> Walter Payton, yeah. Um, Gale Sayers, you know, not a very big guy. Um, lots of Lots of small, quote-unquote, undersized backs have had – very strong careers at varying points in the NFL's history. That's not anything new or anything we haven't seen before. Um, I remember when Derrick Henry was um, becoming a thing. Like when he – he his first couple of years in Tennessee, he's kind of splitting with Deion Lewis, and, you know, he looks pretty good, but he doesn't look like an all-pro. Everybody's not – you know, you don't really see it yet. Right. Um, he just – he looks – I'm not going to say he looks like Brandon Jacobs, but he looks like like – a slightly better, more evolved version of Brandon Jacobs where he's, like, really big and he's really strong and that's jumping off the page. And then all of a sudden, Tennessee just committed to him full time and they gave him the reins and he just exploded and was rampaging through the NFL. And there was a lot of talk at the time that, like, oh, the NFL has been trending towards smaller, undersized backs, and that's created these specific defenses that are designed to contain them. And now Derrick Henry is a course correction, and now the NFL is going to realize that these these big, strong, fast backs um, are the way to attack these new defenses. And so we're going to see a trend back towards towards heavier, bigger running backs, ignoring, of course, that Derrick Henry is a one-of-one. One. Like, the oh, the solution is just draft the next Derrick more Henry. more Derrick Henrys, yeah, because they're everywhere. There's Derrick Henrys every year, yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: Get a Stradivarius there Only (laughs) in 1995 at Walmart You know,
1: yeah I like to think of the NFL as um, You know, like it's a series of trade-offs Like you think about it from like a game theory perspective Like the the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 90s They switched to the 3-4 defense And it's tremendously good for them Because the 3-4 is underutilized Nobody else is running it at the time It was very big in the 70s um, but it had fallen out of favor. Everybody's running the 4-3 or some variant thereof. And so they're able to get all of these tweener guys, these guys who aren't quite big enough to be a 4-3 defensive end, but they've got good pass rushing skills. Um, and Pittsburgh's able to get them for a song, you know, fifth round, sixth round. How many How many Pittsburgh line, linebackers did Pittsburgh get in the Kevin late Green. third day of the draft? yeah. Who turned into all pros, all pro yeah. pass rushers. And other teams kind of pay attention, and they're like, wow, there's this, this huge – Um, market inefficiency there. Like, if we switch to the 3-4, we can get all of these undervalued defenders too. So a lot of other teams started switching to the 3-4, and then it got to the point where, like, half the league is running the 3-4, and all of a sudden these guys aren't undervalued because everybody's competing for them. Like, everybody wants the next Kevin Green. Everybody wants the next whoever, these these undersized tweener pass rushers. Um, And so they're rocketing up the NFL draft, and all of a sudden now maybe the play is we switch back to the 4-3, and we go back to, like, those classic... Defensive ends. Um, and so everything you think about it in a continuum, like is the three four the right defense? Well, if nobody's running it, there's probably an advantage to be had there. If everybody's running it, there's probably an advantage to zagging and running something different that plays off the fact that everybody's running it. And I think small running backs, big running backs is the same thing. If everybody in the NFL has a big running back, then you can get a small running back and take advantage of all these defenses that are all built to stop these big powerhouse bruising running games. If everybody in the NFL has a small running back, then you could get a big back like Derrick Henry and take advantage of all of these nickel defenses and tweener linebackers and undersized speed-based defenses. And um, I don't know if the pendulum is swinging more towards the undersized backs. I think we've kind of been in that undersized back zone um, for a little while, um, for much of the past decade. Uh, A lot of the rise in passing efficiency over the past decade has been increasing efficiency to running backs, and that has kind of necessitated kind of a different breed of running back. your Christian McCaffrey or Austin Eckler type. Um, So that's really been proliferating over the past decade. I don't know if it's swinging more in that direction, um, but it doesn't really seem to be swinging away from that either. But at some point, you know, like the the pendulum will swing because that's what the pendulum does. It, It... there's not any, like, platonic ideal answer. The answer is it really depends on what everybody else is doing and and how can you, you know, like, what's the ideal number of teams running the 3-4? It's probably, like, 8 or 10. Like, that's the point where the incoming talent for the 3-4 is as expensive as the incoming talent for the 4-3. And, like, if another team enters the league, they, they shouldn't have any strong preference one way or the other as to which defense is easier or cheaper to build.
0: Um, one, yeah. other, one other thought that I think that would be interesting with this is that okay. you, you know, I, I think it's abs, it's totally on point, of course, that as defenses get smaller, that you, you'd also run some bigger backs at them as a kind of a counter to run through them. But at the same time, as defenses got bigger, that you would have some smaller guys too. But also it's kind of like, I thought of it another way when you started mentioning Sayers and Peyton and Dunn and Tony Dorsett and and players like that. I started realizing, oh yeah, those guys in that era were facing had offensive linemen and defense. They were facing defenses that were smaller as a whole. So if defenses are getting smaller, then running backs can get smaller, and it almost goes in two different directions. It's like you're gonna your extremes are going to be more embraced in certain ways depending on what your defense does so if your defense gets smaller and quicker that means that you can probably get away with a smaller back provided that he is lightning fast and and then at the same time you can get away with a big back as provided that he's going to run through tackles so it's almost like the extremes of that running back range will be more embraced with a smaller faster unit in a certain direction, you know, like certain extremes get, get embraced in a certain way based on what the opponent's doing. And then the other thing is like you're saying, how many, it probably depends on your division too and what your division's doing because teams draft towards their division. So if majority of your division is playing, you know, a certain type of ball, that's how you're going to probably, you're trying to draft to beat them. So that's where that, I think where that begins the, the trends. And then it becomes a tipping point where you look around and go, the entire league's doing this. So let's get away. Somebody's smart enough to go, let's get away with that. Or our entire division does this. These are eight games we we should be able to have an advantage.
1: And I also think, too, the NFL swings between – there are points where the NFL is is like, we are going to – find our players and then create something that best suits their specific skills and highlight them and put them in the best possible situation to succeed. And there's points where the NFL is like, we have this dominant scheme that we know works and defenses haven't caught onto yet. So we're going to find players that fit that scheme. And I think right now the NFL is in more of like a talent centric um, swing on that pendulum. Whereas like in the nineties, defenses hadn't really figured out the best way to slow down the West Coast offense. So I think the, mid, the mid-90s the mid were more of like a scheme-centric decade where it was like you wanted specific players who could do specific things. Um, and who knows, like maybe the Kyle Shanahan offense, like maybe – teams figure out how to copy that. And, and to catch that lightning in the bottle, I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical. But maybe that catches on and becomes the next big offense. And then everybody's looking for a Debo Samuel type and a George Kittle type. And we enter this scheme-focused period again. But by and large, I think we're at a point in the NFL where if you can do something good— somebody is going to find you and find a way to use you and put you on the field. And I think that also lends itself to a diversity of builds that's greater, um, less of a homogenization at certain positions. Um, So it really is a good time to be like an atypical running back or an an atypical anything, like, like a not archetypal, um player at any position you
0: brought one up and that was debo i mean i think matt Harmon did a great job of highlighting i saw a clip of his podcast i think on instagram where he was talking about debo because um you know and it's it was just a dead-on explanation that look debo as a zone player as a as a gadget runner um he's he's fantastic there are few that do it as well as him in those situations, and because NFL plays enough zone, you're going to get a strong strong production out of him. But man to man, he's not remotely as good man to man as he is in, uh, against zone coverage. Um, so uh, you know, in fact, he might not even be remotely the player he is right now in fantasy football if he were on another team that forced him to be in situations where he was going to get covered man-to-man more often. Um, So, you know, that, I think that's a perfect example to your point of, you know, what the NFL is doing. Or you can even say Lamar Jackson is an example of of that with Debo Samuel because, you know, and I think everybody knows I've always been a huge (laughs) proponent of Lamar Jackson as an NFL caliber quarterback for a long time. But in our in our football guys roundtable last night, some of the staff accused me of of baiting them um, because I asked who was the more of a you know scheme dependent quarterback and who was the least scheme dependent out of like the some top five players and I gave Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, C.J. Stroud, and Brock Purdy and they're all they're all saying Brock Purdy and they're like saying it and they're going I know he's baiting us because. He, he he gave us this obvious Brock Purdy thing. And they all picked Brock Purdy and I picked Lamar Jackson. And I think the shocking part for people who probably would read that would think, well, and I think it scores to the point that people look at Lamar Jackson as this, well, he can create on the move. And because he can do things off structure, he's less dependent on the structure at hand. But the the percentage of off structure plays that quarterbacks make is small relative to what they do on structure, no matter whether they're good at it or not. And what really to me was more important and the point I wanted to make is that Brock Purdy, who may not be nearly as good off structure as Prescott or Lamar Jackson, um, and has made some mistakes off structure, is also very good at um, processing in structure against, you know, tight coverage, making really quick reads that um, are very difficult to do, even if you are, if the system is just helping you, like you have to, this is the type of thing that fits in any system, the things that he does well. And so with Lamar, while what he, him being able to run and scramble transcends the system, he doesn't make those types of reads outside the numbers very well. Like he's not a good outside the numbers thrower beyond a certain distance. He has limitations with his arm doing that and his placement doing that compared to what he does in the middle of the field. So by and large, even though Munken's system looks a lot different than Greg Roman's system in some regards in the passing game, they're still keeping him from throwing certain types of throws that most NFL teams ask quarterbacks to do in, other, in, in um, a vast majority of systems. You could argue that Dak Prescott last year was in a system that wasn't all that great for him and the difference in his fantasy points per game this year from last year was dramatic. Whereas like you look at Jimmy Garoppolo who played six years in, in Mike Shanahan's system and while he had some gaudy yards per attempt numbers, they weren't anywhere near nine point eight eight that Purdy was doing. You know, so I, I you know, you, you look at this, and I think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, we talk about, um, you know, how systems work and where where we are with what they, what what they do. Um, you know, whether we're dependent on some things more than others. Um, and you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson and you wouldn't think of him as a system dependent player. But that doesn't mean he's bad or not as good as other players or not as desirable. Um it he could be more desirable than anybody if you fit him to the right system the same way that Debo Samuel is. And it, it shouldn't be considered a pejorative thing as much as it is just saying you know these are his skill sets if you're smart you're going to leverage them if you're going to take him if you're and that's more on your organization than it is on your player it doesn't mean he's less desirable
1: yeah i mean i hate the system quarterback um designation partly because it's just not like i don't think people know what they're saying when they talk about it like if you There's dependent on the system, which is what you're you're talking about, and then there's like benefiting from the system, right? And if you talk about like what quarterback, if you sampled his career and you looked at like you charted three games one year, and then you picked another like you looked five years later and you charted three games there, and you looked five years later and you charted three more games, like what quarterback would have the most stable system, most similar offense across all samples? It's Peyton Manning. Yeah. He ran one offense his entire career. He basically ran twelve plays from five formations for eighteen years and told the NFL to stop him and the NFL couldn't. So he just kept running the same twelve plays from the same five formations with, with you know, like different teams, different teammates. Because he, he was ran the coach.
0: He was the offensive coordinator of right. his own system.
1: Well, by the end, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't want to diminish what Tom Moore did because sure. that was Tom Moore's system and he brought yes. it and that's what he had been running in Detroit. And, but, but Peyton Manning, you know, ran it and he, he ran that for so long and he got so good at it that like he could do it in his sleep. And he's like, I'm going to keep doing this until somebody makes me stop. And nobody ever made him stop. Um, and so by, by, a lot of rights, you could call Peyton Manning the biggest system quarterback in NFL history. Now, I don't think he was system dependent. No. Had he been drafted by a different team that was running a different offense, I think he still would have thrived in any system. But just in terms of, like, there's nobody else where if you look at their offense, if you if you chart five games 10 years apart, where you're like, yeah, this is basically the same offense. Like, there's there's just the amount of offensive carryover from year to year and decade to decade Peyton Manning was a system quarterback in a lot of respects. Yeah. And so... Every quarterback, is, honestly, right. is a system right. quarterback. Right. Like, the, yeah. the I said that on Twitter, and the common response I got was, Peyton Manning wasn't a system quarterback. Peyton Manning was the system. And I'm like, so the system is that, like... Peyton Manning exists. No, the system is, we're going to run, like, these are our formations. We're going to run these plays. We're going to run a lot of levels. Like, we've got our counters that go off of these plays. Um, You know, we're going to do a lot of stretch handoffs. That's the system. And he's that's what he's executing. He executed it higher than anybody's ever executed that system, or probably ever will. But that's the system. It's, It's not... He's not just like playing schoolyard ball running around that's the opposite of what he he's was doing. just
0: doing it with craft the craft right. that he did to manipulate defenders to leverage this maximize what the system could do is what made him great It's just like if you're a salesperson you have you're not the product that you're selling right. but the way that you sell the product is what can be make that product look masterful um you know, and get people buying into it. And that makes you masterful at what you do. But it's like, I always looked at, I mean, it's like the whole Cam Newton thing that happened last week. Cam Newton came on and started talking about who was, you know, more system dependent and who was less system dependent. And really all he was talking about and really was who are guys who can be a little more creative within the system and who are guys who are a little less. And whether you agreed with who his choices were or not, the point he was making made perfect sense to me. And it's all on a spectrum anyway. You, you know, I mean, it's not like one guy, you know, it's not like one guy was a complete robot who did nothing, but, it, you know, if he was a robot, it would become predictable. If he predictable. was,
1: Sean McVeigh would have traded four firsts for him. That's right. <laughs> yeah.
0: He absolutely would have, you know. Well, he tried to make Jared Goff a robot, that's for sure. Right. And then Matthew Stafford told him to go fuck himself, I think. I think they, you know, I mean, I. could you imagine? I have to think Matt Stafford after all that he's been through. Like, it, the first time, Matt, you know, Sean McVay, who probably obviously wanted him, uh, I would have to think. The first time Sean McVay probably tried to interject in a way that he did with Goff, if he tried. I bet Matt Stafford just told him, fuck you, I'm not, you know, look, you wanted me, we're not going down this road at all. You, I you think know. Stafford
1: strikes me more as the type who'd be like, oh yeah, coach, absolutely, coach. And just this ignore him. Ignore <laughs> <Yeah>. him. <laughs>
0: And then when the coach says something as he walks to the sideline and he just go and he'd point to the scoreboard and just smile and go back and get something to drink, you know? And it's that just old be quiet. Um, yeah. Johnny
1: Unitas quote that you haven't arrived as a quarterback in the NFL until you can uh, tell your coach to go to hell.
0: Yeah, and Tom Brady did it with Josh McDaniels almost every week at the sideline. It was one mm-hmm. of my favorite things to watch. Um so yeah. But that's um Yeah, it's a It's a fascinating topic just to see, and I like how that kind of opened up in terms of the subject matter It's
1: fun to look, too, um, you know, talking about how, like, the NFL is more, at like, a talent-heavy swing rather than a scheme-heavy swing. Um, Like, it's kind of fun to look at, like, players in the modern game and look at guys even, like, 10 years ago who would have been, like, really good comps but just didn't get... um, Like, we were talking about Debo Samuel, and I kept thinking about Percy Harvin, who was, like... A better Debo Samuel, yeah. like he could do all the stuff that Debo did, and he could also do stuff that Debo didn't do, and he got, you know, he got a little bit of run at like running back and in, in the running game, but never like that level of commitment yeah. or or Lamar, Lamar Jackson and yeah or Lamichael yeah,
0: James. We've talked about him in the past mm-hmm. as a guy who could have been a comp for some backs who have been really good right now, like an Austin Eckler or you know even a James Cook in certain regards, and he was in a. He was in a 49ers offense that was like more big back oriented.
1: Yeah. Or, or Lamar Jackson. And and like, I don't think these guys are as good as Lamar Jackson, but like Colin Kaepernick or Pat white, or there were guys who could do a lot of the same stuff Lamar was doing, but NFL offenses were like, no, we're doing what we're doing. I don't care what you can do. This is what I need you to do. Um, And so it's fun. I like to enjoy these, these talent focused swings, when we have them because we get weirder players or or like, all right, even compare like Cordell Patterson now versus Cordell Patterson 10 years ago. Yes. I'm sure he's evolved some as a player, but I think a bigger thing is just that the league has evolved some as a league. And at some point we're going to find like another dominant scheme that's on the upswing. Maybe it's the Kyle Shanahan thing. Maybe it's whatever. And, and we'll go more towards like this works. Nobody can stop it. We're going to find people who can run it to the fullest extent capable um, but in the meantime, I kind of love this whole, like, like not everybody's going to be a star, but anybody could be a star. Yeah.
0: It's the cyclical nature. Of, and Cordero Patterson was a great cyclical nature because until teams started going, oh, wait a minute, these nickel defenses, we can start running gap plays. We can start really pounding the ball in a manner. We can run these toss plays, and it's going to be more effective um, than what we've done in the past. And they're, they bring them back. And suddenly they look at a guy like Paris and go, holy shit, we can use him in a manner that, that is perfect for what he was. Or And I think of, you know, one of the first players I remember catching my eye as a kid was Greg Pruitt. And he was he was essentially a undersized back who could make crazy moves, you know, as well at, at that time in his career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the... Looking at all these, Charlie Ward is another one, like Charlie Ward, maybe this is too much of, I'll admit that Charlie Ward is probably more of a sentimental, nostalgic, like feeling about what he could have been as a quarterback, as opposed to what I actually would see if I studied his tape, but there is, there's a lot of sentiment about if he were as good as people say that he probably was and just didn't get the chance in the NFL that this would have been his era like I you know there's a there's a cynical part of me that goes oh he's probably like on Seneca Wallace's level which was still pretty darn good for like a smaller quarterback but not but not the level that people are anticipating when they think of Russell Wilson and what he's done with his the heights of his career or even Tua at his size or Drew Brees There's a lot of people who romanticize that with Charlie Ward, but I'd see him in the NBA when I was still watching the NBA as like a You know 10 year 12 year veteran and and watching him like dig out loose balls and like watching power forwards like getting limping off and getting carried off the court and he's at the bottom of the pile and he just kind of pops up and run off. And I just laughed and I thought that fucker was a, a football player and, you know, who just made it work in a basketball career. I mean, like, that's it, such a shame. Or even Allen Iverson, who was a hell of a high school quarterback who was undersized for sure and was considered better than Michael Vick, you know, uh, you know, in the Tidewater area and he was uh you know he was seen as an amazing quarterback and you know it was like no there's no way that that's gonna happen for me i'm gonna play basketball you know
1: yeah or or um didn't lebron james play tight end yeah in high school <laughs> like could you imagine lebron james especially in like this nfl where like it doesn't really matter if you can run routes like just go out and like be lebron james like who can cover you know it's like having julius peppers who runs like two tenths faster on the 40 yeah. and you can like line him up and send him deep or um or one guy like he did not have a bad career by any stretch but man i would have loved vernon davis in today's oh, nfl god yes
0: <laughs> i love you Vernon know, like, davis too god. i know we
1: both love tj hawkinson but yeah. like vernon davis was like tj hawkinson like the next level like yeah. he just just uh, maybe like the last other than gronk um and kittle I I think he was, like, the last, like, truly great all-around, all-phases tight end. Yeah. And, you know, San Francisco turned him into, like, a sixth offensive lineman to try and keep Alex Smith alive long enough. to, And that's what they had to do. But I think, um, imagine, like, 2012 San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan as head coach and Percy Harvin and Vernon Davis on that offense and, like, what he'd be doing 10 years ago.
0: George Kittle would never see the light of day. Well, no. that's not true, but he would – George Kittle is, uh, as an athlete is not – no, no one was Vernon Davis as No, no one was. He was Julius Peppers. Yeah. He, yeah. On on offense. Oh, and,
1: and I love Kittle, and there's there, – I'm not yeah. going to say that, like – davis was a better kittle because like kittle no. does stuff that davis does True, kittle was better be. after the catch and especially in that offense that's so predicated on this after the catch i don't even know if davis would be a better fit yeah. but i would have loved to see somebody who was like let's maximize vernon davis like let's it's not about what we need from vernon davis you know we need this extra blocking let's and, and davis can get that that's that if was a he very were on the patriots
0: oh my god under, yeah. with brady that would have been yeah crazy
1: but, yeah, he he was a guy who was a great player who kind of got stuck in, in, like, a scheme-focused team where this is what we need rather than, like, a talent-focused team that was like, this is what he can give us.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you, if Michael Jordan had, like, a an ounce of football ability, what position would he play? Do you think he'd be uh, a wideout who basically dominated games with his footwork and his ability to get open? Or- I
1: don't know. I mean, it's just hard to say because I don't... I feel like basketball players, I just don't know if they have like the long speed. Like it, yeah. to be a wide receiver, especially like a tight end, you don't really need like that 4 4 speed. Yeah. Um, so I don't care if LeBron has that or not. Like just size, fast enough, short area quickness, jumping ability, body positioning, ability to box out. Like I think that really lends itself to tight end. Jordan, I don't know. I don't think was. I mean, he could be like a Jordan Reed type tight end.
0: Yeah. But Um, he was 216 pounds. So that's, it's not fair. Yeah.
1: He probably could have bulked up some. And, but, but I think he could have been like that Kellen Winslow move tight end type. Um, I don't think he has as natural of a position as like LeBron James, where you look at him and you're like, he doesn't have to do anything like in the shape he's in right now. Like, obviously you'd have to do some more training for like the specific types of, of, athletic demands but like he could be a tight end give him six months of training and he's ready to go like he could maybe not today but but in his prime he could he could probably cross train and play both ways
0: yeah probably would probably could you know but yeah he had he certainly had a football players mentality too in in certain regards he did he did he
1: i mean he was a competitor for sure and like i think that competitive spirit translates over or i would have loved to see just from a sheer chaos standpoint, like I would love to see a team line Shaq up at tight end because, like, there's a lot of things a tight end needs to do that he couldn't do. But also, like, he was like 380 pounds and seven foot three. Just have him run like eight yards downfield and then jump up and catch it. And it's, it's like, what are you going to do? You're just getting eight yards every play. Yeah. Marching mine, down the field. Mine's
0: b- more boring, but I'd love to see him at de- defensive end. I, that, I, would that would be fun been, too. Yeah. I think Or that... even
1: defensive tackle. Yes. I mean, like, the chaos he could unleash in the middle. And then you don't have to like, you know, do the speed rush around the edge or, um, he could be like, I mean, like obviously Reggie white, arguably the best defender of all the time. But could you imagine lining Reggie white right next to Shaquille O'Neal on a defensive line? And like, who do you think you'd be watching when the ball snapped? Like I probably have my eyes on check.
0: Well, you know, Washington at one point, I think tried out Andre the giant. (laughs) <laughs> as a <laughs> as a defensive lineman. I think they I think they considered him or they, they tried him. And he was a freak, but like 70s.
1: I don't know that he would have the speed yeah. or the like the the agility, whereas Shaq was like Well Shaq had agility.
0: As a as a as a as an old time wrestling aficionado, before the 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 chronic disease that he had that forced him to continue growing really started to impact his body and if you go back and watch him in like the late 60s and early 70s he weighed a lot less he was still like in the 380 400 pound range but he could throw flying drop kicks and and he was fast and quick and proportionate to his body he was scary like he was scary good of an athlete like he if you when you watch him and realize what he what he was, he wasn't there was a time that like you, you would look at him and go, he's moving like someone who's like six, six, and two hundred and eighty pounds, and he's actually seven four and you, you know you know three hundred to three hundred and eighty to four hundred pounds, and it looks proportionate on him, and so YouTube has some of those. there's a couple where he's he's doing that, and you're just like, that is some scary. Shit right there. Yeah. Or,
1: or, um, like Wilt. Like, Wilt could have played oh, any Wilt. position he wanted. Like, yeah. there's the, the famous picture of Andre the Giant and, um, Wilt and, um, and, uh, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger. Yes. On Ko, uh, yes. Conan the Destroyer. And they're holding him up, and he looks like it's like Yao Ming next to uh, JJ Watt, but yeah. like Yao Ming, like, he was amazing, but he just didn't have like the durability, the longevity. There he wouldn't have held up in the NFL, but Wilt would have. Like Wilt, you could have like thrown anything at him and he would have bounced up and been like, Is that all you got? And like, Wilt he just was one of the been...
0: greatest athletes of all time. Yes. Just pure like on I think he was on the level of Bo Jackson, just in a different way.
1: Oh, absolutely. It would have looked like, you know, like the the high school kid going back to Pop Warner and yeah. just like, you know, Picking kids up by the head and like moving them out of the way and like he could have played anything.
0: He He was a high jumper. I remember. I think and and and, and, like was unbelievable as a high jumper. So and his
1: bench was like insane. He would have been like one of the strongest guys in the NFL. Which like with those long arms, like that just makes benching so much harder. And he was just like a freak of nature. He could have done anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wish, I wish I was old enough or alive and old enough to see wilt chamberlain playing basketball like in real you know like on tv or at an arena it would have been amazing but um yeah so let's let's move on to like talking a little bit about the nil with you know with the fact that you know now there's a lot of players in college football who they're making the wise decision they they maybe maybe they go to the draft committee and they realize they get their scouting reports back and they're like they're thinking maybe they're a second round pick, first round potential, their fourth, fifth round guy, or some guys who they're like, yeah, maybe I'll get drafted in day three, and they're like, nope, probably not, you know, go back to school. You might even have a shot if you learn these things. Maybe you'll get a shot to get into, get into day two. And they go back, now they're getting paid, you know, at least above the table, they're getting paid and they're getting a the chance to make as much money as they possibly can get. So with that in mind, we're going to start seeing guys go back to school. There's even talk that maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. goes back to school this year. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a for real thing, but there's there's consideration among these players, you know, what if Caleb Williams were to go back to school? Our teams that were really leaning on maybe getting some of these prospects now going we're going to have to make a commitment sooner to some of these players to get them. Like, we're gonna, you know, the NFL's gonna have to kind of show something because these guys might stay later and now we're worried about them being a year older than what we, you know, than than what we hoped and they're not as desirable according to what our models look at. And, you know, the thought the thought I had was, you know, Brandon was talking about this, is could this possibly drive teams to say, well, now we're gonna do one and done with the NFL and say, if you know, you can leave after one year of college and get that NFL money. But if they do that, they're going to make some mistakes along the way, drafting these 19 year old quarterbacks or wide receivers who aren't remotely ready, even though they had a great season. And they're going to, you know, there's a possibility of that, that they won't be ready or that they're going to draft multiple guys. You know, now we're going to start seeing multiple quarterbacks, which is probably the smart thing to do anyway. We've always talked about that, getting two quarterbacks. But the onus on them eventually will be, we're screwing up these resources because we're drafting these guys and they're never ready to play. We better get them ready. Maybe we need to start developing them along the lines of what people do outside of the NFL, You know, as, as we've talked about development in recent weeks. Do you think the NFL, the NFL might actually find that its biggest competition for, like, getting good players is now the college game, getting paid, you know, paying out these dollars, and they're going to have to, like, resort to some of these developmental tactics or one and done to actually get a competitive advantage.
1: Yeah. Um, Starting with Marvin Harrison, like... I always love chaos. I I root for chaos. Uh, I have a buddy who had the number one overall pick in 2018 and he has the number one overall pick this year. And in 2018, I traded um, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown for the 1.01 and several other picks. And I got Saquon Barkley and um, you know, Bell and Brown both famously imploded. They had one more good season between them and so now he's like I'm never trading the 1.01 to you ever again and so this year I made another strong offer for the 1.01 and he's like no I'm just not doing it like I've learned my lesson and if Marvin Harrison went back to college and he turned down like this godfather package for the 1.01 and didn't even get Harrison like that would be the funniest possible outcome to me <laughs> that like he screwed when he takes the trade and he screwed when he rejects the trade uh, so from a chaos perspective I, I always love uh, just chaos but uh, I will say upfront, and this I, I really want to say, you know, I don't swear much on this podcast, but like good for the kids getting this NIL and like all the coaches and administrators who are complaining about it. Like you have nobody to blame but yourself. You fucked around and you found out yep. you wanted to play this whole like we don't want to play players. So we're going to pretend they're not employees for as long as is possible and you had many opportunities to stop and say like, these guys are employees and not only like, should we be paying them? We should be treating them like like real people. Like the kid on the football team should be able to get a job at the bookstore. Like it's fucked up that I could get a job at a bookstore when I was in college, but the kid on the football team couldn't. Yeah. like not only can you. I not, fucking
0: hate the system of college, just period. I, We're gonna go into that later.
1: I ahead. stopped watching over a decade ago, and and people think it's a handicap for Dynasty, but there's not. There's a lot of ways you can get around without <laughs> watching. Um, there's a guy named Matt Waldman who produces this fantastic resource every off season. I'm sure we'll talk about that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, last day,
0: last day for to get. Last it day at for pre-orders, unless
1: you're listening tomorrow, in which case you missed it. But you get the uh, benefit of paying full price and supporting yes. all that uh, work with a little bit extra. Um, and the tremendous charities, and we'll get into that later. Yeah. But um, I haven't watched in a decade because, you know, like I'm not going to say like, oh, every company that I deal with is like a paragon of virtue, and like, like you can't go no. through society without supporting some companies that do fucked up things, and it's maybe it's hypocritical to draw the line some places and not others, and that's fine. Like, do I contradict myself? Very well, I contradict myself. I am legion. You know, I contain multitudes. But I just could not stomach college and and the hoops they were jumping through. To try and keep all of that money to themselves and give it all to the coaches, and they're spending. Oh, we're a not-for-profit. We didn't turn a profit. That's because you spent 18 million on these <laughs> facilities to replace other facilities that you just got five years ago. If you hadn't spent that 18 million, which you were contractually required to do to to maintain this fiction that you're not turning a profit, you would have had 18 million to give to your players. And 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 college football fucked around, and the court said, yeah, this is bullshit. So now college football found out. And if you don't like this system, you should have done something about it 10 years ago. If you don't like it, you can still do something about it now. Call them employees. Give them health care. Pay them a living wage. Right? And, and NIL goes away. Yeah, I... So you're, it's your bed. Yeah. You made it. You sleep in it. I, I have zero sympathy. And I love the coaches. Chip Kelly's out there. Um, Jim Harbaugh, who are out there. And they're like, this is fucked up. Yep. That, that like, I'm making all of this money when they are the product. Yep. People are not coming on Saturday to watch me coach. That's Not right. happening. So, um, yeah, good on the players. I hope Marvin Harrison Jr. gets a zillion dollars. Um, he deserves it. I mean, he deserved everybody uh, who got screwed over the past deserved it. And I'm glad that finally somebody can make something of it. I'm skeptical that NIL is really going to compete with the NFL for players. Just because um, like college football is a much smaller business. Like Each program in yeah. college football is a much smaller business than the NFL. And college football as a whole, I think, generates less revenue than the NFL. Yeah. And college football splitting that you know, like 100 different ways between 100 different teams. NFL splitting it 32 different ways between 32 different teams. So I think that boosters can uh, make a play for the Marvin Harrison juniors of the world. They can keep like, two or three pro ready players per team off the market and in college for another year or two. But I don't think they're really going to compete with NFL money for like those mid tier guys. Um, And I don't think that's where they're going to prioritize the money. There are going to be some guys who are like, I'm making less in college, but I just like college and I want to stay here. And now that I can like afford food and I can like send some money to my family who's struggling, like I, I can stay here and that's awesome. Like, I want them to live the life that they want to live, and I want them to have the means and the resources to be able to make those choices for themselves. So, you know, NIL, awesome, good. If you have a problem with it, you should have done it differently. You didn't. This got rammed down your throat, but this is a net good. Like, who cares what they spend their money on? Like, nobody complains about how I spend my money, right? I earn it. I can spend it how I want. So I don't know that – I don't think – one of my bedrock beliefs is the NFL is not going to do anything unless they're forced to do it. Right. Just like college football is not going to do anything unless they're forced to do it. Will the NFL start developing players more? I don't think so. I think there's too many players available who want to get into the NFL, where the NFL can continue like they should have been developing players more before now, but they could get away with it because, like, eh, you ruined a few players. We got a whole new class next year. Um, they should have seen it more as a competitive advantage. Yeah, um, But... They haven't yet. I'm skeptical that they will going forward, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, I, I wonder if maybe college will devote more towards developing players, although probably not under NIL, just because, um, same th- you know, are It's players the same thing hockey.
0: in a different level. Yeah. Right,
1: you're, you're developing players for the next program. If college switched to a system where, like, scholarships were guaranteed for four years, now you have an incentive to develop a player because if you get a guy and he's not working out, you can't just revoke his scholarship and get a new guy next year. You know, once you once you recruit a guy, he's, you're with him for four years, you have an incentive to say, I want him to be better next year and better next year and better next year. And and obviously, there's more development at the college level than there is at the NFL level. Um, but I think like in terms of like structured development, probably the most of it is happening at the high school level. And then outside of that, you're getting a lot more player-led development um, and, and selection bias where the players who are honing their craft on their own continue to rise through the ranks. I don't know. I I am a pretty cynical person. I don't really want to be, but, you know, reality keeps no, I think, smacking me in the face.
0: I think they're great points, and I laugh when you describe college football because then I start thinking, you know, college football was a lot like the criminal justice system where you had, like, you had the, the police on one level in terms of what they were doing, and then you had the bail system. And, like, the NCAA, like, their rules making committees and the people who did like the enforcement of things. I felt like they were like the, they were like the legal system, you know, the justice system and, in the way that, you know, they dole out these fines and, and suspend players and, and do all these things. And it's like, but they're things that basically the system itself encouraged. So it was like, they collected on both ends and almost in the same way where like the NFL does them on some ticky tack levels too, where it's like, um, a player gets a game ball, but they get charged for the ball. Like, it, you, you know, it's like,
1: what? You, you know, so. And it's he, not new. I mean, what's the old quote that the NCAA was so mad at Kentucky that they gave Western Virginia like another two years of probation or something? Where, like, yeah. the NCAA wants Kentucky. You know, Kentucky's good for the NCAA. So they look the other way when Kentucky cheats. And then they come down on someone else so that they can say, like, look, we take cheating very seriously. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's such a, and it's just one of those things that if the kids aren't, if the kids aren't going to be allowed to pursue the majors of their choice, they sure as shit should get paid. Because that, you know.
1: Scholarship's not payment then. Like, like, I can spend my money how I want. It's company script. is what it is. And we made that illegal in every other walk of life. You can't say, like, you can't work for the railroad, and the railroad says, to work here, you have to live in our town, and we're going to pay you in company script, which is only good at our stores, and that's debt bondage. I mean, look at
0: Robert Smith from years and years ago, the former running back where at Ohio State, he he was pre-med, and they kept turning the lights off on him when he was trying to study at night, telling him to go to bed, you know, and he finally was like, coaches are discouraging me from doing from pursuing my studies i'm going to quit the football team and they treated him like a pariah i mean like they were so disrespectful to him even in front of the other players and then you know ended up in sports illustrated and he got reinstated and and came back and you know the staff got theirs nationally but it's like this kind was of stuff it, uh,
1: remember Marlon roll at fsu Yes. who was like a Rhodes Scholar. Yes. And he, he got a Rhodes Scholarship. And he's like, I'm going to go to Oxford for a year. And then, like, that was a knock against him. Like, he doesn't love fo- – it's not that he doesn't love football. He got a fucking Rhodes Scholarship. Yeah, yeah. or like, that
0: – or Aaron Foster was soft because he took philosophy, you know, and he wanted to study philosophy and that he was a smart kid and a good student and they didn't like that he questioned things so much, you know, or they were f- afraid – that he would question things so much, you know, and I mean, it's just, it goes on and on like that. And I've seen, you know, I've seen things where a student has contacted for a football team where they've contacted a professor, the professor said, you know, about their grade that they got. And they just said, well, go appeal it. If you want to appeal it, go appeal it. And then the professor explained to me that the Dean has said we're going to, I'm going to handle all appeals because we know that the Dean is going to look the other way. Now the professor doesn't have to be involved with any of that stuff and have to consider whether they're going to do the right thing on that level. The Dean now is just going to be like, I'm going to be in cahoots with the rest of the school and I'll take the heat for it. Um, You know, and that's how certain, certain schools at certain colleges get a, are approved for football players to get majors in, you know, yeah. and other schools, they go, no, you don't want to, you don't try and steer their kids away from, from all of that, it's a yeah. yeah it's, we're going to pay awful. you in a
1: scholarship that you can't use to take the classes that you want, and even if you do, you're not going to have time to do it because we're going to require you to be here 80 hours a week. But that's okay because we're going to fix your grades for you. Yeah. Uh, and if you if you know if you take the wrong classes, if you want to do the wrong thing, then you're off the football team, or we're going yeah. to tank your your future. And it doesn't matter anyway because if you get hurt or anything, we're going to revoke your scholarship after one or two years, and you're not going to get a degree anyway. Yeah,
0: because you're not going to finish school most of the time anyhow in football. Right. Right. So, but we're
1: paying you we're paying you with yeah. this scholarship this yeah. is the thing of value that we're giving yeah. you even though like the way that we're giving and the strings we're attaching makes it not yeah. you, you don't, know, for the vast majority of players it's just not a thing about and
0: you don't have enough to eat uh you didn't have enough to eat for a while and then on top of that oh what was the other thing oh we're going to monitor every movement that you make even if you're like at niu or Northern Illinois, we're gonna monitor you when you get up, when you work out, what whether you go to class, whether you have your whether you're at practice, your second workout. You're gonna have a little free time for a couple hours, and then we're gonna make sure it's lights out and that you go to bed. That sounds like prison. That sounds like like a a strict camp to me. Like at and desk. we
1: care about. Student-athletes, that's, that's the most important thing. We care about them. But if your grandma got sick and you want to move closer to home to be with her, no, that's not allowed. Yeah. That's not in your best interest Just yeah. being closer to family when they get sick. This woman who raised you, yeah. who's now maybe terminal, and this is your last chance to be with her, you have to decide what's more important to you, your football scholarship that will revoke the second you tear your ACL or your grandma who raised you from birth and who's struggling financially and you, you only got into football to try to provide for her because we're looking out for your best interest. Oh, I you. could do
0: be- yeah, and you raised a fuss about this type of stuff. We're going to we're going to spray your name in the media and have thousands of alumni and the public just rain down on hatred down on you for things that that they would have like cried about, you, you know, and had every right to if it were them, you know, it, it, you know, in the same situation. Yeah, I'm a the for me, at least I feel like we know the NFL is evil is ha, has its evils and it's pretty upfront about what it is um college to me why i think i hated college football and i'm still not a college football fan is they cloaked themselves in this righteousness right and right. they were anything but at least the nfl is like yeah we we charged the military to 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 perform these patriotic displays you know we find it, that, like amateurism
1: you know, was invented by rich English aristocrats so that they wouldn't have to compete with these poor laborers because they knew they'd get beat. So they invented this principle of amateurism that like, oh, when like this poor dock worker gets in a boat and rows down the river, that's crude and crass. But when we do it, this is elevated and and this is meaningful. Like it's more impressive that when we do it, even though he can complete, you know, 20% faster. And I think the big difference between the NFL and the NCAA is they're both, like amoral they're both profit maximizing entities but in the nfl the players have some power and they can push back on the greatest excesses of it and the ncaa has systematically denied the players any sort of bargaining power and because of just the fragmented nature of the ncaa they've been able to get away with that for so long and i think nil's crazy i don't think this is the optimal system in any respect but the players have power now and and the ncaa doesn't like it and you know, I find myself—I find it extremely difficult for me to feel the slightest bit bad for you guys.
0: So I just love getting Adam fired up, and this was definitely the subject matter for that. Um And I, I'm—I feel the same way. If you know, look—you know—we're not telling you not to go love the, go, love college football. You love college football—that's your thing. We just both happen to. Hate it. Yeah, I mean, I love the NFL. You know, and I'm, you know, like yeah, I can—I can I, can,
1: I can criticize a million things that the nfl did i'm not under any illusion that the nfl is like some benevolent entity despite all their efforts to convince me otherwise it's it's capricious and it's arbitrary and i get that it's hypocritical for me to say like you know i can recognize that this thing is you know a little bit i wouldn't say evil it's just completely amoral and i still support it and this other thing is also completely amoral and i don't but just as a personal, you
0: have your reasons, you know, Right, you have to, everybody
1: draws their own lines and I'm not going to get mad at anybody for drawing a different line. Like, yeah, that was my line.
0: That's it. And and we happen to share the same line. And, you know, this has been a fun show. Um, you know, again, if you haven't gotten the rookie scouting portfolio and you've never tried it before, this is a good time to do it until midnight tonight on, on the 21st, um, And then once it turns to the 22nd it'll be available for 21.95 and the rest of you who refuse to buy it until you pay full price which i appreciate that sentiment very much um you can get it at mattwaldman.com. this is the 19th year been doing the rsp and you know i i talk about process a lot um and adam and i and i both talk about process a lot and you know one of the things that I've enjoyed over this past year, just to share a little bit, is that, you know, occasionally after like 19 years, um, I'll bring up some players and, you know, I'll, I'll bring up my successes on on Twitter. Um, it's my, you know, it's, I don't do it as much of a victory lap as a way of just advertising. Here's some things that you can find. Here's how you, here's here's where you can have some success to go buy my product. That's, that's my way of advertising where that is. And occasionally I'll get trolls who will go, well, you had Hakeem Butler like up there with Julio Jones is a great player, and I just kind of laugh now when I see that type of stuff because it's usually the same like one to two players um, that you know. And I'm like, I could pick more failures than the ones that you than the ones that you picked, and that was like five years ago. But then I thought about it for a little bit, and I thought, you know, I bring up Hakeem Butler because five years ago. When I had him that high, a couple of years after that, I started work. I started. Um, 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 ch- I had changed my wide receiver system after that, and I had successes before Keith Butler that were either outside the norm or along the same norm as other folks. But you know, the thing that I want to talk about with the RSP is that it's always growing. You know, I'm always trying to continue to, you know, work on my process. So I had consulted with a wide receiver coach who's worked with the likes of Julian Edelman and um, Muhammad Sanu and Dontavian Wicks and, you know, Jawan Winfrey and a number of pro players, some who are successful starters and some who weren't drafted but have been on teams. And that, that is success for an outside wide receiver coach is to get a guy good enough that he can make a team and continue to be in the league for multiple years. And, you know, he does some, you know, Um, you know Drew Lieberman who is the Sideline Hustle does great work And, and you can find it on YouTube at the Sideline Hustle and I spent you know I spent a good couple of years really studying his videos and his instructional videos working with these players and and you know filled up this board behind me of just like everything about wide receiver play and how I could change that to update my system. And I would say that the things that I learned to become a little bit more granular in detail and how to prioritize that has worked out very well in in terms of taking wide receiver from being I would say of I feel like I've done well with that position overall but being one that where I had some weaknesses and some blind spots with And I feel like I've turned that into probably one of the greater strengths of what I look at in terms of the position now because of, you know, just that continual effort to continuously improve, you know, continuous improvement. And that's something that's been built into the RSP process since 2006. So, you know, know, guys that include, you know, if you look at, Jaden reed or aj brown or justin jefferson or um chris olave you know these were player these were players at since aj brown or since uh hakeem butler were guys that i was higher on as like good fits immediately and then than most you know in the industry at that time um so you know i i would just encourage anybody who is out there doing draft work also you know don't worry about your misses worry about just continuing to get better what are you going to do after you miss a player how are you going to approach what you do to to make the work that you do the best it can be and be patient with the misses that you that you that you make because they may not turn out to be misses after just one year or two years and to focus on what is it that's going to be lasting because there are people who are like oh you you liked you're the one who liked um you know james cook so much and you got so excited about his fit in buffalo he didn't do anything last year i'm not buying your work well okay and you were in a dynasty league and and you and you skipped out on james cook because of that because of his fit and it didn't work out after year 1. Okay, well, you might I'll just say go to mattwaldman.com this year <laughs> and maybe revisit that um you know, you get it again for 1995 pre-drafted post-draft. Well, Adam, thanks so much for for, you know, the show and you know, I appreciate that what you do. I hope you have a, you know, a happy holidays and you can find Adam's work, you know, of course, at footballguys.com. He does fantastic work with dynasty with really data model, you know, models and looking examining different points of data and talking about things on a broader level that are going to make you a much better fantasy football player. Um, and of course, you know, we appreciate him on this podcast for that very reason. Cause I, I know a lot of our listeners have uh, benefited greatly from your knowledge. So, uh, Thanks again, and uh, good luck on your uh, on the rest of your playoff games. How many playoff games do you have this week? Can you keep just
1: one? I'm in the three leagues, and uh, two of them missed the playoffs on tiebreakers, which. Fortunately, they had crappy weeks last week, so I'm like, oh, well, it's not like I, I lost out on anything. They would have been eliminated anyway. But, but, yeah,
0: I've just got the one hope left alive this year. Well, good luck on that. And see, that that's the other thing that I love is you and I are kind of similar in that regard. We don't play in a shit ton of fantasy leagues, so we're not like, you know, I look at the industry and I've always laughed because the industry's like, I won my da-da-da-da-da, and I'm like, that's great, but I know you are in, like, 28 leagues And you've given up on the five that I'm in with you. Um, You you know, where your team, you're not even starting players that you should be starting, you know, at this point. So I like, I've always enjoyed seeing folks in our industry who are like, I'm in leagues that I can manage and this is what I'm actually, you know, what I'm actually doing. And it's not for just PR purposes. So awesome. All right, thanks folks. We will see you next week. Have a good holiday.